0: Welcome to the Freedom Chasers Podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. Today, we are here with Abbas Muhammad. and we're going to kick it off with your journey because you have a very inspirational origin story. So let's kind of start. Um, from the very beginning, you're an Iraqi immigrant. Let's talk about that experience coming over from Iraq and all the mindset shifts, uh, oh, the, the melting pot of America <laughs> and how that all looked like. Let's, Absolutely. Let's, let's into do that. Well, start, I show want to off. start this
1: off by thanking you for having me on. I'm super hmm. excited. I love it. Uh, but, yeah, just to kind of start off. So I, I was you know, born in Iraq in '97, and then um, you know, I remember as a kid when you know we used to sleep on concrete because my my family couldn't afford to have beds. It was it was Whoa. pretty bad. Um, And then, you know, after the Iraq War, we lost our house and we're just kind of moving from one place to another literally almost every week for a number of years. And then eventually we uh, we left Iraq when I was nine years old, went to Syria for a couple of years, seven of us living in like a one bedroom, 500 square feet apartment on the floor again, all that sort of stuff. So it was just poverty all along, basically. Um, and then we came to the U.S. when I was 11, um, Memphis, Tennessee. I was, you know, we were all super excited, started from nothing. We were on housing assistance. We were on food stamps, like any, any welfare program you we could think about, we had it back in the day. And I just, you know, as a kid, I just, I just hated that. I'm like, you know what, if, when I, when I mm-hmm. could work, I will make sure I do everything possible to change, to change this because I don't want to live like that. And mm-hmm. so when I was 18 years old, I was, uh, I, you know, I was a used car salesman and I was going to college. And I had no idea what I was doing in college. It's like, I spent basically. Can, a year can I, and I half. stop you? Yeah.
2: Like, I, I want to sit in this journey as a kid and this transition. I mean, that, that's like a lot to unpack. Yeah. I mean, my goodness, like, you're sleeping on concrete floors, you're moving every single week. Like, how old are you when this is happening? And, like, can you, you kind of describe the feelings you had as yeah. a kid? All those types of things. Oh,
1: absolutely.
0: I mean, uh, not to mention the experience of the Iraq war. It was not fun. I mean, I was—I
2: think I
1: was like five or six years old at the time, and like you know, hearing about missiles and gunshots. And like I remember asking my family that because they were worried about missiles hitting our house. I'm like, oh, I hope a missile hits our house because I want to see what that feels like. I had no idea. (laughs) <laughs> uh, you know, and then like when I was in fourth grade, we you know, I remember we, I was walking with my dad to to take the, the final exams, as, you know, as a fourth grader. And it's like seeing people getting shot in the street or people dead in the streets and people were like, are you fucking nuts? Like, why are you guys back here? You know, like, it's not worth it, you know, but I still went, did it, whatever. Um, but yeah it was it was not fun it was not easy and but I'm glad you know none of us you know died or anything so that's that's good on the bright side totally yeah certainly yeah that was good but no I mean having said that I just you know it was not fun I, I hated it and uh, thank God we ended up leaving I, I always tell people like, People don't understand how good we have it here. I mean, mm. we're living an easy mm-hmm. life in the U.S. Uh, and and so people complain all the time about all this dumb crap out there. But it's like it's so minuscule in comparison to what other people deal with all the time. Uh, so I'm glad I got that other perspective early on. So that way now I know I know, you know, how much better we have it. And I have no excuses, basically. But, yeah, I mean, I was. When I was uh, 18, I was, uh, you know, selling cars. I was going to college, doing all that crap. And I just, I hated that. I'm like, you know what? I don't see myself doing anything in college that was going to be interesting to me. And I didn't want to be a used car salesman for the rest of my life. So I I looked at some of the richest people on the planet um, because I knew I wasn't smart enough to figure out different businesses. I was just like, okay, who are the richest people? I'll just copy what they're doing. And I noticed that most of them were in real estate. And so at the time, I'm like, you know what? That's all I need to think about. I'm just going to go and and get into real estate. And the only thing I could afford to do at the time was get my real estate license. I actually didn't even have the money to pay for my real estate license, but I had a credit card that had five thousand bucks on it. So, I'm like, you know what? It's going to cost me about $2,000 to get my license. Let me just go ahead and do that. So, I I got my real estate license, and I actually thought, you know, I went through a bunch of like YouTube videos and all that sort of stuff, and I thought this was going to be super easy. I'm going to get in, I'm going to call the expires, I'm going to call the FISBOs, I'm going to, you know, start getting commission checks like crazy. But then after getting in, I, I quit my job. I quit college, went all in on real estate, and I just started knocking on doors literally every single day from 9 o'clock in the morning to 5 o'clock. I would wear a Beautiful. suit, and I did it seven days a week mm-hmm. nonstop, and I did that literally for three months. Now, remember, I was 18 years old. I was overweight, so I, you know, I literally I, – I did not look like a proper agent. And, uh, Give us an happens- idea. I mean
2: how, how overweight
1: – I was I was 245. Okay, you were overweight. <laughs> oh. Yeah, now now I'm one I'm now 182, so I you know, I look I look different. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> So you're looking pretty trim uh, now. So. <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to cut down a little more. But yeah, I mean, I was I was out for three months knocking on doors, knocked on thousands of doors. I got nothing. I literally did not even get a single lead. Um, and mm. I followed all the Mike Ferry scripts and all that sort of stuff. It didn't work out for me at all. And so at the time, I basically, you know, completely racked up my credit card. I'm like, okay, well, I have to go back to work. I have to do something. So I went back to the car sales job, which I absolutely hated, but I was really good at it. I think part of it is is because I didn't look uh, very threatening because I was only eighteen at the time, so it was it was easier for me. But I got in, and I'm like, you know what? I could either give up on my sales, you know, my real estate sales business business, I guess. Um, or I could just figure out another way to, 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 to do this. And so at the time, I'm like, you know what? I'm noticing there were a lot of times where I'm not doing anything, just sitting in the office. Instead of being on Facebook, I could just pick up the phone and, and start dialing people. So I actually just bought a list and uh, I started cold calling first with my cell phone, just one one at a time. And I'm like, okay, there has to be a faster way. So I found out about Mojo where I could dial mm-hmm. three, three people at the same time. So I started doing that. And then I'm like, hold on, um, I'm, I'm not using my other ear. What if I have two headsets on. So I actually put Whoa. on two headsets, two phones, and I was <laughs> done. and there were many times I would speak to two people at the same time, I'd just meet one ear and then have the other one open, have some no. conversations. It was it was <laughs> nuts. <laughs> no. That is nuts. <laughs> Oh, but here's the, the interesting part. I literally had to call call for nine months. I would come in, in the morning at eight o'clock and I would not leave until like eight thirty at night, nine o'clock. And sometimes I would dial from the bathrooms of the car dealership because customers would come in and they're like, Why is that guy talking about real estate in a car dealership? So I would have to like go to the bathroom, I'd have to go to the rooftop and just to continue dialing. And so I did that literally um, twelve hours a day, seven days a week for nine months before I finally got my first transaction. So it actually took me one full year to get one deal. And man, I wanted to quit every freaking day. But I'm like, you know what? At some point, I am just I just quit on the idea of quitting. I'm like, I have no other option. This has to work. There's no plan B.
2: And Dude, so I just, I hang up. on, hang on. You quit on the idea of quitting? Yep. I'm like, I've I'm never, not, I'm I've never, never heard that anymore. before. I'm <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it
1: was, it was great. And so I got my first listing. I think at that time, I made like $30,000. I paid off all my credit card debt and all that sort of stuff. It was a million-dollar listing. And then uh, two months later, like
2: not a bad yeah, exactly. Start. That was good. Your so first two- deal was a million dollar deal. Well, I live in the <laughs> Bay Area, so you know that's that's dude. Are idea. you
1: freaking out here in California?
2: I'm in San Jose. San, yeah, you, yeah, I'm in San Jose,
1: yeah, yeah. We're close,
2: man. Where? at? Yeah. I live in the, I live in the Valley. I live about an hour and a half south of Sacramento. Oh, there you go. Yeah, Turlock, Yeah.
1: Uh, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so, so, you know, two months later, got my second listing, which was really nice, and then a month later, I got a third, and then business just started kind of rolling in, because all the leads I was accumulating from the cold calls started, uh, started becoming actual listings. They were like, hey, Abbas, you called us a number of months ago, you've been emailing us, and... You know touching bases we're ready to go so it started snowballing basically um a year later so at this point i was two years in the business i was 20 years old i i was making three hundred fifty thousand dollars at that point or 400 yeah um, buddy and yeah it was it was great so i quit my car sales job and i promised myself i'll never ever sell a used car as a salesman again <laughs> so that was done um <laughs> and then uh, you know so i was making 350 but i remember i i also got i kind of got annoyed because I remember seeing other people that were making millions of dollars and they were working way less hours. I literally was working, you know, 15, 16 hours a day. I was cold calling for 12 hours and I had to do actual, you know, real estate agents for, mm-hmm. for the other, you know, a few hours. So it was it was a lot of work. And I remember calling my mentor at the time. I'm like, you know, there has to be a better way to do this than what I'm doing. I'm I'm literally, I mean, spending every minute of my life cold calling. He's like, you know what, Abbas? You're a college dropout, you're making $350,000, you're 20 years old, like you mm-hmm. gotta be grateful. I'm like, you know, I am grateful, but there has to be more. And so he didn't, you know, he didn't want, he didn't want me to hire people and grow it to, to another level. So eventually I just ended up quitting on the coaching. And uh, I looked at some of the top businesses again out there and I noticed that they have two things in common one is they have people and they have systems. Later on, I also added data. They all have mm-hmm. good data um, and they measure everything. So people and systems. And so I looked at my business and I realized I was the only person and I had absolutely no systems. Besides the cold calling stuff, everything was based on my gut instincts, on what I wanted to do, how I felt I wanted to do things. And so I basically took a step back. I eliminated like 50% of my business um, and because it was too complicated. Like I used to deliver chocolates when I set an appointment in person to people. I'm like, okay, that's not scalable. That needs to go. Mm-hmm. So a bunch of different things you know um so i did that for a month hired my first and then i went on. i hired a virtual assistant from the philippines in october 2019 um one month later she was getting as many leads as i was getting so it's like it blew my mind i'm like oh my god other people could do this as good as i could do it that's awesome so uh, i did that then went on hired a second va a month later and then i hired a third va back in march of uh, 2020 and then COVID hit all of a sudden, and I saw everybody panicking. People were you know, scaling down, they were letting people go, they were reducing their marketing. And at the time I'm like, I was afraid obviously just like everybody, I had eight appointments, they all canceled on me. And so I'm like, you know what? Hmm. I could either scale down like everybody else right now or I could just double down and go all in because if I was ever gonna grow, this would be the best time. Everybody else is reducing their business. So I actually mm-hmm. hired in the middle of April, Everything was shut down in California, and I went out and I hired a virtual assistant. Her job was to basically be a hiring manager, and I said, look, you have to continue hiring people nonstop. Keep hiring, even if I tell you to to stop hiring and I'll tell you I'll fire, you you just keep hiring because I know that's the right decision. And if we stick with it long enough, Mm -hmm. things are gonna turn out better for us than everybody else. And so that's what she did from April to December. We went from having four people to 12 virtual assistants called calling full-time. And I was able to triple my business uh, in 2020 Mm -hmm. because of that. Um, 2021, I basically, um, you know, I, I made in 2021, I think I made like, or I'm sorry, 2020, I made like 750. So I went from 350 to 750. And then I'm like, okay, this is kind of boring now because it's not, it's not as fun. I hired a hiring manager. Then I hired, uh, you know, a, a, I hired two salespeople and then I hired basically a training manager and then I hired a general manager. So I kind of kept scaling it and I got more and more and more out of the business. So it kind of got boring for me. So in 2021, I did the same thing, you know, in the sales business. We went from 12 people to by the end of 2021, we had 25 people. We I netted close to 2 million in profits from the sales business. Um, But at the same time, in 2021, in the beginning of it, I was walking downtown San Jose and I saw this building that had just sold for like 135 million bucks. And I was like, okay, well, how could I ever afford a building like this because i can't do it even at two million dollars a year i can't do it um so i remember what i decided to do is uh, look into multifamily and look into syndications and whatnot and then i signed up with a coaching program um pretty much the next day and basically in the middle of i think it was june or june or july we closed i i did a six 64 unit uh property, six and a half million bucks. We raised $2 million on. And then that was super challenging because it's like the first time I raised money. It was the first time I buy an apartment deal. I had zero uh, real estate investments besides my own house at that point. So I really liked the challenge. And then we went from that to a $30 million deal a couple of months later uh, that we closed in December and we had to raise 8 million bucks on it. So that challenge really reignited my passion. And then I'm like, you know what? Uh in twenty twenty two I was struggling because I'm like, okay, do I keep my sales business, which is cash flowing pretty well? At this point I was almost completely out of it. Um or do I basically let it go and focus on this new business? And so eventually in, in April or, or May, I decided I'm going to let go of my sales business. I hired two agents to take it over. I'm like, whatever happens to the business happens. I don't care. I'm just going to focus all in on, on multifamily. And so that's that's the new business I'm in. And it's super exciting because it's so, so much more challenging. Mm. And, uh, and there's so much more room to grow. But that's pretty much my story right
2: there. <laughs> Dang, man. So just quick, you went from... Zero, complete immigrant, just happy to be alive. Yep. To netting two million dollars a year, and yep. how old were you the year you netted two million?
1: Twenty-three.
2: This was last year. <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: It was. It was. Uh. It was a big jump. Uh, it was. Uh, you know. But the thing that got. The thing that got boring for me was like. I just became I felt like I was useless because I hired out all the different roles, the the follow up, the you know, the training, the hiring, the everything, the admins. I'm like, okay, well, what am I doing? At this point I was just micromanaging people to stay busy and and I like work. Like people people want to get out of work. Mm -hmm. They want to get out of business. Like I actually wanna be in business. I wanna keep working. And so to me that was boring. I didn't want to become useless. And so that's why I I wanted to find something else to do And, and that's how I got into multifamily. Incredible.
0: I love that you say you got bored. You'd be surprised how often we hear that. It's like you get to a level of success and it's just like once it becomes easy, it's, it's no longer a challenge, right. like you said. And when it's no longer a challenge, it's like it becomes a job right. again. It's like, oh, I got to do this. I got to do this. And it's like when you start a new venture, like your cool multifamily thing that you got going right. on, all of a sudden you have a new challenge. You have new skill sets to build. And all of a sudden it's a growth opportunity. 100%. Right. So. Um, 100 percent it's just such a cool story man from 11 years old Uh, sleeping on concrete 12 years later multi-million dollars in gross income and now you're building another business
1: it's it's great Uh, yeah and you know what it is it's like Uh, And I tried to, uh, one of the things I've noticed is like sometimes, and this was especially in 2021 where I felt like, okay, I've already achieved this and there isn't that much more room to grow, I guess. But then I started hanging around other people and I noticed there are other people out there that are making $2 million a month or in a few weeks. And it's like, and then, Mm -hmm. so so really it's all relative. And I stopped seeing success the same way as I did before because there are multiple different facets to it. There's the health, there's the family, there's all that different stuff. Uh, But in terms of financials, specifically i just noticed like i'm a very very small fish in a very big world out there and so you know when you put yourself out there with other people that are producing a much 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 higher levels than you ever imagined then it just kind of resets the expectation of where you're at and where you could be because really at this point you know, when I when I got into business, it was all about money. Uh, that was my number one thing. I was super broke, obviously, and I would be lying if I said it's not about money. Uh, but then later on, once you start making money, and then you buy a house, you buy a car, you've got money in the bank, it's like, okay, well, I enjoy work, and all this extra money is not really changing my life anymore. Like I dress almost the same way every day. I drive the same car. I have the same house. I don't care if I make an extra ten million this year. It's not going to change my life. And so, uh, and so then it becomes about achievement. And that really is what drives me most now is, hey, what could we achieve? What What's my actual potential as a human before I mm. die?
0: Can we dive into that yeah. a little bit? Are you looking for achievement or are you looking for fulfillment?
1: That's a good question. I would say they're both related because to me, achieving a big business, achieving a successful
2: business is what fulfills me. Mm. Okay. Yeah. That's, I love that yeah. answer. Yeah. And so if we dive down in that rabbit trail a little bit deeper here. So building a big business fulfills you, but can you even go deeper and say, what about building a big business fulfills you?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, actually, because I think about that sometimes. Um, So to me, business is almost like a journey of self-development where Mm. I've noticed the bigger Mm -hmm. I could the bigger I built my business, the, the better I, th- well, I, I say better, but maybe other people may not see it that way, but the better, I think the the more understanding of other people I have and the better I become at, at, you know, setting visions and, and managing and thinking on a bigger scale. So to me, if, if somebody is say at, you know, let's say I'm at $2 million a year and somebody's at a hundred million dollars a year, that just shows that they think on a much bigger scale and they have way more skills that I just lack that I don't have. Um, or maybe sometimes they don't have the skills, but they're very good at setting up teams that I'm, I'm not as good as they would be. So to me, it's like, okay, what skill sets am I missing from where I'm at to where that person is? What what false beliefs do I have um, in my in my head that are causing me to not grow to that level? And so that really is the fun part, is figuring out these false beliefs and, and just going out and learning these new skills. So I'm always looking to learn new things and seeing what other people are doing.
2: Hmm. So really just being completely married to the idea that you want to be better in your thought processes, ideas, et cetera, every single day, like that's what drives you is just being a completely a better version of yourself every single day.
1: 100%. And then the other thing is, hiring people. I really enjoy hiring people. I really enjoy, you know, bringing in uh, people and and just maximizing their potential and pushing them beyond what they thought they could do as well. And so to me, that's, that's a lot of fun. And especially if, you know, seeing other people's lives change, uh, that has been super fulfilling. Like I, I've hired now a bunch of people and seeing, you know, them buy a car or whatever, you know, buy a house or whatever, stuff like that. And it's like, oh, okay, well, cool. I love being a part of that story in in some way. Uh, Mm -hmm. So that to me, that to me is a lot of fun.
2: Can we can we circle back to an early part in the conversation where you're 245 pounds? Yeah, <laughs> you're working. You're probably sweating like crazy. I'm guessing, uh, although the barrier man. is pretty moderate, right? As far it is, as it's pretty weather good goes, <laughs> that's pretty nice. What happened? I mean, I, I know you're giving us the the rundown of activity because yeah. you're you're co- you're working like a slave, like a dog, right. to right. make this dream happen. But what mindset shifts happened when you started working 16 hours a day? Like what had to happen for those 16 hours a day to start translating from zero, which happened for 90 days to massive success?
1: yeah i mean you know i think really what it is is that sticking with it was the biggest the, was the biggest thing i mean i was doing the same work uh, you know mm-hmm. when i was making three hundred fifty thousand versus when i was making zero dollars it was literally the exact same work i was on the phones 12 hours a day doing the same thing um and i think sometimes people just don't have the patience to stick with things until they start you know churning results because a lot of times things take time and and people are always trying to get a quick you know like a quick solution but the reality is a lot of times if you just keep doing what you're doing and you stick with it long enough you'll start seeing results and I've noticed that over and over and over again in many many different areas um now to go from 350 to 750 I had to learn to hire people and then to go from 750 to 2 million I had to learn to um you know let go of more and more control the less control you have the 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 bigger it actually gets because then you could, if if you if you have other people who are only focused on one specific task and they do it over and over and over and over again they'll become much better than what you could do because you're distracted at, at a number of different things so i had to learn that and then um, and so that's basically that's been the journey so far but really the biggest thing is just sticking with things i've noticed people just don't stick with things and they go from one shiny object to one shiny business mm-hmm. to another to a third to a fourth like i was talking to a guy the other day and he's got this great opportunity that he's working on but at the same time he's you know, he's got like three different business ideas he's he's trying to scale i'm like dude i mean these all could scale up to multi-million dollars a year um but you focusing on all three is just not it's not going to work out because your attention is not is not on it full and that was the same problem that i had basically um that's why i decided to like go for my sales business is because i knew i could have done better in my sales business if i was actually focused on it and I could have also done better if, on the multifamily business if I was focused on it. But I, I didn't, you know, I, I basically wasn't as good as I could have been um, had I just focused on one at a time. And then once I focused on my sales business, we had so much improvement in just two months. My, my underwriter, one of my employees is like, oh, boss, I just wish you'd have done this a year ago. Cause like we're moving so much faster, so much better in such a short amount of time. We would be way further ahead if I had made this decision sooner. But it's scary, you know, once you have built something to let it go, it's, it's, it's scary, it's not easy. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and do you have any ties to that at all anymore? As far as yeah, income I do. or management? Yeah,
1: yeah. So I mean, I still basically I get sixty um, um, percent, you know, sixty percent on the buy side, and then I get fifty percent plus eight thousand of each transaction. So I, let's say I get about fifty percent of the revenue, and then after I mm. pay the expenses, whatever, you know, I net about say thirty percent.
2: Cool. So you're, I mean, you're still financially very, very involved, and yeah time-wise probably minimally involved almost nothing basically yeah yeah
1: which is which is fine with me i mean it's like and they're doing a great job but if if they end up not doing a great job all of a sudden and things go south i just mentally decided it's okay if that happens
2: Mm -hmm.
0: yeah you said something a very important point you said before the shiny object syndrome Um, especially in the real estate industry the real estate investing industry is such a huge problem i'd say most of the people that are having difficulty finding success that's the precise reason they're not sticking with the strategy long enough until it actually you know gains traction Right. Um. So I mean, just such a fantastic. Oh, one hundred percent. And you know what there. it
1: is? It's like I I just noticed, like especially for example in multifamily and and some other businesses also this applies, but it's like especially in multifamily I'm competing with people that are running you know uh, running big institutions, uh, big family offices, people that have hundreds of millions of dollars and people that are all in. And so it's not. It's like you can't go in and basically half-ass your way into success competing against people that are all in that have way more money than you way more experience and way better relationships like i need to be moving quick i need to be moving fast i need to be all in and so to me that's that's why i needed to focus and i think um i think if you're focused on too many things you just can't there are other people that you're competing with that are all focused all in 100 and so you can't beat those guys um if you're if you're half-assing your way through it
2: Totally, and and on top of the fact that because you're moving up the food chain, and you're yeah. now competing against guys that are big fish, as you would say, right? Like these guys have learned the lessons that you've learned. They've right. learned the hiring. They've learned the scaling. They've right. learned they've learned sales. They've learned the messaging. You right. know, like I remember when I when I got first into real estate as a retail agent, like getting a listing was cake. I know, right. <laughs> and I don't want to say that in offense to anybody, but the reality was I had come from a sales role that was difficult. So going in the real estate world where you get people that are not necessarily trained on sales, like I'm like, wait, these people can sign Mm -hmm. right now. Their contract (laughs) just expired and they're not happy with their agent. Like it's like they're giving me business, you know? It's insane. Yeah. But then you go and compete in this because I invest as well, you know, not the scale you're doing probably, but we do a lot of single family, a lot of small multifamily, some kind of odd lifestyle type properties that we look Uh at and it's Mm -hmm. like, it's a bit harder when you're bidding on a $2 million property, usually than a $400,000 property, because right. you have the same maybe five or 10 competitors, but the 10 competitors on the $2 million property are significantly more talented. 100%. 100%. Yeah.
1: I, I, I noticed that as well. And it's also the more, the the further you go up on price then then you also have to add in another factor and that is relationships. I've noticed mm-hmm. relationships are huge. Uh, like I remember when we did our first deal it was you know six and a half million bucks so you know we had some relationships with the brokers but that wasn't that big a deal because that's kind of a starter deal in multifamily that price point but then to go to the 30 million dollar deal the broker that i was dealing with he was he was a little newer and he's like a boss listen i've never done business with you or your group i've got other buyers on this deal however i've seen you offer on three other properties and i've seen how much work you put in so i i see you're a hustler and and i trust you but here's the thing Mm -hmm. i'm gonna put my word in for you with the seller and here's the thing if you if you end up not closing on this we will never do business again i just want you to understand this and and these guys this team does 50 percent of the business in dallas and that was my primary focus of like if i mess it up with this guy i'm done out of that market forever basically but he's like listen um, on the other hand if you do well and you close this on time and you make it an easy transaction like you say you will then i will give you as much business you need next year let's just you know but i need you to focus all in on this and so i had so many problems as i was Mm. doing that because that was a big jump i mean i basically 6x the price point um so we had to raise way more money we had i had to bring in a bigger team i had to manage way more things and you know and we were at the end of the year so we're like we're trying to rush to close because um, a lot of people needed the tax savings you know because if you close after the the you know, at the end of the year, then you lose mm-hmm. the taxes, and so there were so many different things I was I was trying to manage. It was probably the most stressful time of my life, actually. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in terms of business, uh, but you know, we ended up closing it on time, and and that relationship now is built. And it's like if there is a deal that this guy is selling, and I call the guy and I want it, I'll get it. You know, and so in fact, the other day he was just signing a listing agreement before even calling anybody. He's like, "Hey, boss, I got this new listing. We're just signing it right now. What do you do? You want it? You know." take a look at it so it's like these relationships get Hmm. built with time as you perform as you show yourself as a as a you know a real easy buyer to deal with and all that sort of stuff versus like a new guy might come in and they don't have relationships they're at a disadvantage and so I was new a year ago I'm still new in some areas and so I gotta continue to to build those relationships
2: incredible And I know we're going to do another episode where we're just going to take the guardrails off and not have a time limit on it. So I'm going to restrain (laughs) myself from all these questions that I want to ask, but I do, I do want to circle back for the purpose of this episode to the shiny object syndrome. I'm glad you, you took us down there, Tim. So were you born without a desire to chase shiny objects or did you have to fashion yourself to not respond to them? And if so, how did you do that?
1: yeah i i think really my my first mentor basically you know uh put that into my mind early on because i was i was doing uh, i was doing door knocking at the time and that wasn't working for me and all that sort of stuff and so then i was like okay well i'm gonna call call but maybe i should also do fizzbos and expires i'm gonna do a regular call calls i i'm gonna do maybe facebook posts and all and he's like you know what boss. I just wanted to do one thing and become the best of the best at that one thing. And so I I basically took that to heart. I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna become the best of the best at cult calls. And so I was I did nothing except cult calling. Everybody thought that was stupid. I remember even uh, you know, other agents were like, A boss, we've never seen an agent, you know, do well with calls calls in the Bay Area because we, you know, people are, you know, they're a little more sophisticated out here and they want relationships and all that crap. You're going to fail if you continue to do this. But I just kind of stuck with it. And uh, I blocked all the other, because you, sometimes you see other people succeeding doing other things. They're like, man, I don't, should I be doing that? Uh, you know, but then it's like, to stick with what you're doing, and so that's what I did um, until it worked, and then I learned my lesson, and that is, hey, I I want to grow my business not through Facebook, not through all these different avenues. I'm just gonna become the best of the best at cold calls, and so by the time, by the end of 2020, uh, 2021, uh, you know, like I said, I had 25 people cold calling. We were using, we had dialogue systems, we had scripts, and nobody in my market could become a cult caller and compete with me at the same level nobody i don't care who it is because we're so far ahead out of everybody else if somebody tries to call call and take business that way we would absolutely crush the competition Uh, but if i was to do open houses i know there are other people that are way better same thing with online ads same thing with every other avenue but that's why i didn't i didn't go into uncharted territory that i was just good at one thing
2: Hmm, such a beautiful lesson man yeah such a great piece of advice from your mentor yeah, it was it was phenomenal, and I
1: I stick to that you know up up until now, and I'll always remember that. And so, you know, I think uh, I think this is this is uh, one of the things that I that I didn't like about being in two businesses is I had two focuses, and I and I didn't believe I could perform as well. In fact, if you think about it, like you look at people like Carl Icahn. Uh, these are some of the biggest investors out there, or, or the Y Combinator, and all these other things. And they're like, one of their focuses is they want to make sure you're not focused on two businesses or too many different things, because they want you laser focused on just one thing. And, uh, and that's one of their criteria when it comes to investing.
0: Hmm.
2: Beautiful. And yeah, I mean yeah. that. I mean, how much does that say, right? I mean, this idea that the wealthiest people in the world will only invest in you if you are laser focused in one area. That right. that shows the value of that,
1: right? Right, you know, it's like these guys are billionaires, and they didn't get there by by not figuring out the right formula. So, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times I think one of the, one of the strategies that I use a lot is um, I try to just copy other people that are way, 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 way more successful mm-hmm. because it's like, okay, I I could try to figure things out on my own, but these guys have already figured it out, and so I could save so much time and so much energy by just copying what they've already done. Now, once I get to their level, I'll change things around, right? But if I'm not at their level, there's no mm-hmm. point. And so, uh, you know. Part of that is I've been super big on coaching and mentorship throughout my life. Like when I first got into business, I paid for my first coach on a credit card and um, and that worked out really well for me. I mean, I'm glad I did it that way. Um, and then later on, when I got into multifamily, I hired a coach. I wanted to learn how to speak. I hired a coach. I wanted to um, you know, just do a bunch of different things. And every single time I would hire a coach and that saved so much time because it, it compresses how much time you have to spend to get the same amount of knowledge because mm-hmm. you're either paying for things with time or you're paying for things with money
2: hundred uh, percent. Mm-hmm.
1: So,
0: so you mentioned all these coaches that you yeah. use, who has been your most important professional mentor?
1: Uh, yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> I would say they've all, they've all been great. They've all been uh, phenomenal and in, in taking me from one step to another. Um, I would say my first one was the most influential uh, because he said a lot of business, um, I guess, uh, you know, uh, strategies in, in my mind that I stick to to this day. However, one of the things I learned about coaches, and this is this is important every every time I I hire somebody now, and that is to not. Um, idolize them and put them on on a very big pedestal because I remember I hired my first coach and I basically shut down my brain. I did exactly what, you know, what my coach you know told me to do, which was great because you have to do that. But at some point, you have to realize that they're they're good in one aspect that you're hiring them for, and they may not be correct on other aspects. Um, versus the way I did it at first is like, oh, my coach is great at cult calling. So I'm just, you know, I'm going to take his advice on cult calling. I'm going to take his advice on personal finances. I'm going to take his advice on how to grow the business. And so, you know, you, you later on realize that people, people don't have, um, skills in every aspect of life. They're good at one thing usually. Um, and so that's, that's the way I, I do things on So then when I hired my, my, um uh, the second one was uh, I got a multifamily coach. And so then I just focused, look, I'm going to learn about multifamily from this guy, but I'm not going to learn how to build a business from there are other people I'll hire for that um when I went to learn how to speak I did the same thing like I'm going to learn how to speak from this guy and then I'm going to discard other advice because otherwise if you start taking their advice on everything you'll see that they have contradicting advice a lot of times And it's like okay well who do you follow the reality is if they don't have experience doing the thing that you're doing and built you know if they haven't built it up to the same level that you want to build it up they're probably not the best coach in that aspect of your life
0: Absolutely. That's the saying, right? Don't take directions from somebody that hasn't been there right. before. Right. right. Um, <laughs>
1: and I know there are some coaches in real estate that, that are big that haven't done it before. And so, you know, and, and, and it works mm-hmm. for some people, but I, I try to stick with ones that have done it.
2: Because you can get you can get that if you want it, right? I mean, like right. you could buy the one that hasn't been there. And there are some, I believe, that are pretty decent at it that haven't been there. Right. But there's also ones that are great that have been there.
1: Right. I'd rather yeah. follow these guys. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah. Gosh, dang man, like this is just so cool to see the just the hustle, the ambition, the attention to skill, the focus. Like it's just not common that we see somebody put all those together, which is obviously a reflection of why you've went from nothing to millions plural of of income in in a year. Yeah. And now you're making I'm probably guessing at least half of that, if not more in Automated income with no work while building this beautiful thing. Like, yeah, I mean, like you are truly the story of the American dream.
1: Man, you it's know. it's mind blowing to me to be honest with you. When when I let go of my sales business and I you know and then things kind of went completely because at, at the time I was the only thing I was doing was listing appointments and everything else was automated. And then when I hired agents, now it's all automated. I basically take literally almost zero uh, time in it. But what was interesting is now to see. I'm making less money than I did in the sales business. But what's interesting is that it's completely automated and I completely bought my time back. And and now I really understand the value of building a business that could be completely passive uh, and not. And I think Gary Keller talks about this in one of his books where he goes like, look, um, you know, would you rather make I think the number was like 500,000 a year actively? or Would you rather make 80,000 a year passively or whatever? Mm -hmm. He's like, you should go for the passive because then you could take that time that you were spending to to get to, say, 500, and then you Mm -hmm. can build another you know, bigger piece or another bigger business, and I think that's that's a very very accurate statement. Um, I just wish I would have done it sooner. It's it's very fulfilling to see that happen. It's like I was at a conference the other day, and then I got a message from one of my agents. She's like, oh, I just put this 3.6 million dollar buyer under contract, and, I, and you know, I get 60% of that. And then the other agent was like, oh, I just got this listing in this area and for like 750. I'm like, oh, cool. And and I'm at this conference and business is still going. It's it's cool to see that you know. So it's it's very incredible. I. I highly recommend if, if somebody's an agent listening to this, um, set that as a target of what you want to build up to.
2: Mm, love it. And I, I want to underscore, and I'm, I'm curious to get your take on this. You built a team of virtuals and the virtuals Correct. are the backbone of your business. Correct. And I rely heavily on virtual and I, and I believe in a kind of an integrated model, which it seems like you're operating as well, where you have the backbone of your business is built virtually. And then you have some, some pieces in the US that really benefit from it. And so, do you believe that that method is way more sustainable? Because, I yeah. mean, there are t- there are many people that built epic teams of all U.S. people. Right. But generally, what I see is people in the U.S. are much more likely to have this mentality, I have to go out on my own, all these types of things, when they get successful. Right. right. But when you hire mm-hmm. overseas, it seems like they'll stay with you for life, you know. Right. 100 take on that
1: Yeah, so actually, it's funny, because I built a whole free course on how to hire virtual assistants. Mm. Um, Like, I I don't sell it, I I spent like 25 grand on building it. And now I just give it away for free. But basically, the point behind that is, um, hiring virtual assistants basically changed, changed my my life at the time, because Mm. I couldn't afford to hire, well, I could, I could have like hired maybe two or three people in the US but then it's like okay then you know I, I maxed that because at the time I was making like 350 so I wasn't making enough to hire too many people but with with virtual assistants like they cost they cost so much less and I've known and I've hired by the way since I've hired um, local assistants and all that stuff and i've noticed they get the same amount of work done um, like it wasn't anything different i mm-hmm. hired an assistant she was costing me i think like four times more and i would look at the end of the day in terms of because i measure you know a lot of different things now and it's like oh they're achieving the same thing so i don't know why i'm paying so much more so it ended up i ended up having to let him go uh, but basically yeah, I mean, that's the other thing is that they stick with you long term, I've noticed. They don't switch around as much. And the nice thing about that is like, you you know, you hire people, they're getting trained up, they become better and better and better every day. And so if they're sticking with you for years, like I've had some people that have been here with me since I started. And so it's like, the, the nice thing about that is now they're so good, it's insane, you know. And they don't want to leave because at this point, they're, you know, the job's is easy for them and all that sort of stuff. The other thing I will say is, and, and I'm not knocking building teams in the u.s but i've noticed a lot of agents build these mega huge teams but the but the rainmaker the top guy is not actually very profitable um and so it's a lot of it is ego sometimes um i'm not big into into that i don't care about ego all i care about is how much money am am i taking home um and so building a lean business is very very important now having said that there are different roles that you just can't hire virtual assistants for. For example, in my sales business, it was great to hire virtual assistants because I had all the skills and I could teach people the skills. But now that I'm in the multifamily business, I've realized that I don't want to learn all the skills, um, you know, mm. that I that, that I need to grow the business. I want to hire the skills because it's so much easier. I could save ten years of my life in different aspects just by hiring people. So I'm I'm only focused on hiring locals now and the and the multifamily business. So depending on the business, you may you may hire VAs, you may not be able to depending on whether you have the skills or not, uh, to, to teach what you want them to to learn. But in, in some cases, like the case I'm in right now, there are skills that I don't want to learn. I just want to hire for.
2: Beautiful. Moving into the architect role, yeah, creator of opportunities. <laughs> so, we just interviewed a creator of opportunities role guy, he's just phenomenal, uh-huh. phenomenal interview. And then I just went to a conference where they call it the architect or the energy. Is interesting, yeah, how cool,
0: yeah, because you mentioned like the entrepreneur's journey is a journey of right. growth, right? Um, so this guy said there were four stages, right, Matt? What were the four stages? Yeah, so again? it's
2: DIY and then it's like project manager and then it's COO. And then it's, you know, whatever you want to call it. So he calls it the architect or the energy. I personally like when they say something like the creator of opportunities, the source, whatever it is. I love it. I it, love it. <laughs> yeah.
1: mm-hmm. And who was that? That's interesting.
2: So I was at a conference uh, called the Circle event with um, AJ Osborne. Uh, so the speakers they had was uh, Brandon Turner, who was, who was the one that gave that presentation. Got uh, it. Pace, okay. Pace Morby and a couple others. So
1: That's awesome. No, that's that's great. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, because at some point there there's so many skills and you don't want to put in the time to learn everything out there. Um, And there are people like, for example, um, I'm using multifamily just as an example in this, but it's like asset management. It's like I could go and learn asset management and obviously you have to learn up to a certain level so you know what to, you know, uh, you have to know the basics. But it's like I could either go learn it myself or I could hire somebody that has done it for 10, 15 years where they come in and they're not learning from me. They're teaching us the, 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 you know, the knowledge that they have, they're bringing in their own systems that they've had for 15 years. And so that, that adds a lot of value and you have to pay a premium obviously for stuff like that, but that's worth it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt. Gosh, man. Like I'm just, I'm crazy excited. We we could run for a long time. Uh, (laughs) So um, it is just, I mean, I think the thing that's coolest for me about this is not where you've gotten, it's how fast and how young you got there. Yeah. It's just mind-boggling. The maturity is yeah. nuts. Oh, man.
1: You know, it's, it's honestly
2: yeah, all that. But when he's 24, you're
0: 24 years old, you've already eliminated yourself from a business, and you said, I wish I had done it Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was 12. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I should have automated my business when I was 18 years old knocking doors. Should have it done before I hit it puberty, should have been though, done.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: And I was just like, Brilliant. Oh, He should have done it sooner. But, you know, I was like, yes, he should have. Know, and it's just like, that just makes you want to level up your game even more, right? You yeah.
1: know, it's, it's all relative though. It's like, mm-hmm. and so like mm-hmm. I've seen other people that are you know, that are similar age and they've accomplished much more. So it's like you know, our success, whatever success may may be really is is, is all relative because there are people out there that became billionaires by the time they were my age. So it's like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm, I'm slacking over
2: here. <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I, I equate it to like the men in black locker room thing, you know, at the end of the movie where essentially they realize they're in a locker that's much, much bigger. It's just, it's so crazy that the mm-hmm. talent, yeah. skill, and wealth disparity in the world, particularly, I mean, U.S. is no exception where you have the vast majority of people living on $35,000 a year, and then literally you're making, say, $2 million net a year, plus adding crazy amounts to your net worth, and you are a tiny fish.
1: Right. It's just right. crazy. And it's, it's mm-hmm. crazy, to be honest with you. Like I, I, and I share that sentiment because it's like I, I look at people and, – and for some people, financial, um, I guess, growth is not really a big deal. Uh, But for some people it is, they just Mm -hmm. don't put in the effort, you know, they, they want more money and, and it's an important goal and and they just don't do anything about it. You know, they don't Mm want to put in the work and all that stuff, which is, which is important um and you know and then like for example with automating things like yeah i, I wish i could have done it sooner but it's also by the same token you have to put in the work especially when you're starting a business because you don't want to set the right foundations um as well and i think like some i was talking to this other person the other day and he's like hey man why are you why are you spending so much time doing this on this in your new business like you should you should just you know hire people to do it all i'm like you know I agree, but at some point you have to set the right foundation so that other people that you bring on could build on to the values that you've set, the the way you do things versus mm-hmm. you know having a, a, a number of different people, with different opinions come in and, mm-hmm. and set up the business in different ways that you may not like. So so you have to put in the work. You have to work hard. You know, it doesn't matter if you could scale uh, quickly or not. Uh, but you have to put in the work, especially at first. And I think a lot of people, agents, I've noticed especially, uh, they don't they don't do that. They spend a lot of time networking and doing non productive things like i remember when i first got licensed literally the day i i got accepted into a keller williams office i didn't have business cards i didn't have anything and i went out and i started uh, knocking on doors like people were like hey do you have a business card i'm like i don't i'll just I'll, let me just write it down for you and it's stupid at the time but it's like mm-hmm. you just got to get moving you gotta ha- you gotta be in motion.
2: love it man yeah
0: imperfect action in massive right. imperfect action like you were talking about putting in 12 hour right. days seven days a week not knowing exactly what you're doing yet, but you do that over a long enough time frame, you are going to figure 100%. out. It is simply a matter of time.
1: It's like you make all the mistakes. One of the things I say is like it took me a year to get my first listing. I couldn't have made any more mistakes. If there was a mistake to be made, <laughs> I've already made it. <laughs> so that's like yeah. at yeah. some point you're collecting yeah. data. And Grant Cardone talks about this a lot. He's like you're collecting data on what's
2: not working. Um, and so that way you know what
0: to Exactly. This.
2: So let's, let's let's try and think about this I love math I'm a math major so I'm gonna nerd out here for a second 90 days is that how long you did door knocking was yep. that right okay yeah, so 90 so days and you did how many doors would you say a day and you did seven oh, days a week
1: I I easily did at least 200 doors a day between Two. 150 to
2: 200 easily I was knocking on doors from nine to five so 200 doors times seven is 1400 do- 1400 doors a week times yeah. 13 weeks. I'm going to get this wrong, but that's essentially I think like 16, 17,000. Let me actually run the calculation.
0: 18. So 18,000, 18,
2: thank you, Tim. 18,200 attempts without a single deal. Not 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 just not a single deal. I think I got one lead out of the whole thing. <laughs> like just it was it
1: was brutal.
2: <laughs> it was oh, brutal man.
1: and man, it was uh it was very it was very depressing because i'm like man what am i what am i doing this what am i doing wrong because i and i followed a lot of scripts like i remember mike fairy scripts at the beginning and all that stuff and then i followed another guy's scripts and it's like i was just trying a number of different things but it just it didn't work out and sometimes I think this is also important to understand as you try different things is that you may not naturally be good at one thing and that's okay. You don't ha- you, you don't want to just continue to try to improve all your weaknesses, just kind of focus on what your strengths could be. I noticed that was much better on the phone. And so then I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to just double down on this further and further and further. And so, you know... Um, I noticed that door knocking was a weakness, but you know it got me out of my comfort zone and all that sort of stuff. That, so that was good. And I lost a lot of weight at the time, so that was also good. Do you walk in <laughs> that much? Yeah. yeah. How much of the 60 pounds yeah. did you lose walking? Oh, man, it was a lot. I mean, I think by the time I was done, I was probably down at least 10, 10 15 pounds. It was crazy. But then uh, what happened is, uh, I remember I was uh, two years into the business. I'm like, man, I'm done being 245. Like, I want to I lose some weight. And so what I started doing, I didn't want to follow all these different diets because I, I really enjoy food. And so I'm like, I just want to keep eating the same amount of the same foods. So what I did is I started eating um, only dinners. I would take half of the of the amount. I would mm-hmm. just eat half a mm-hmm. dinner. And then throughout the day, I actually just – I had a fridge in my office, and I just bought a bunch of broccoli. And I would eat raw broccoli all day long because I was full all day long on just on raw broccoli. And the other thing about it is – Um, it made me more efficient because I didn't have to to take any more lunch breaks. So I'm like, I was saving 30 minutes a day. (laughs) Freaking amazing. Oh man, it was great. It was great. (laughs) Yeah. I've been doing,
0: I've been doing one meal a day for Jesus, like six years now. Jesus Christ. Um, because I noticed when, when I take a lunch, like if I eat a lunch, if there's any type of carb Uh involved. I'm going to have a shutdown period afterwards. Awesome. A, a rebuild, right? So it's like, I need to skip right. lunch. It's like, I'll have my, it's not quite one meal a day because I have like a light afternoon right. lunch, just eggs. Just eggs. I eat like five eggs, get right back to work because protein will never slow right. you down, right? And then I have like a heavy dinner and that helps me get right. to sleep. And it's just like, uh, my energy levels are... Hundred times better if I just skip breakfast and lunch. It's like I don't need either of those meals. I just work through the whole day and I will when I'm I done. I love it. I um, love it. <laughs> and,
1: and then you know, with that, it's like you could eat so much and you're still under your 2,000 calories a day. And then you know, well, exactly. especially if you cut out. So it's hard to day. eclipse
0: 2,000 calories oh, in 100%. one meal, right? When, unless you're eating <laughs> Italian.
1: I noticed that that's pretty high. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: Italian or like the fast right. food, right? I mean, the fast food it pretty yeah, high. No, that's awesome.
2: Beautiful. Awesome man again we could we could just roll and roll and roll, so let's let's kind of you know wrap this up a little bit, and then you know we're we're excited to have you back on later today for a marathon session, so i um, awesome. I'm sure our audience is gonna just dig that because we'll go deep in every possible direction Oh let's do it so if you had one piece of advice for our audience. Based on your journey, you know, coming here to the US, coming under the conditions that you came, all the things you've learned, the lessons to build the business, to become the man you are today, what would be the one piece of advice that you would emphasize the most to our audience?
1: Um, I think easily focus, just focusing um, and focusing on one thing. Don't focus on a bunch of different things and then just sticking, sticking with it for a long period of time. Um, and you know, a lot of times it's discouraging when you, when you put in so much work and you're not seeing results, but you know, that's kind of why other people give up. And so you could either be like most other people that give up, or you could stick with it until something comes up, you know, out of, out of your efforts. So sticking with things long-term and then just maintaining a laser focus. Hmm.
2: Incredible. And just quit on the idea of quitting.
1: Oh man, that's, that's huge because it's so challenging sometimes. Uh, I mean, even in the, in the multifamily business, it's like, man, sometimes it's so discouraging or like we put in so much time, we write an offer we're we're, I go fly to see it and then we lose it. And it's like, oh man, I just spent a month on this deal and I lost it. Uh, so, but you know, you just, you're not quitting. And, and I, I tell this to my, to my, I have one employee in the multifamily business now. I'm like, man, you know what? Um, you could quit, I can't quit. And he's like, you know what, Abbas, we're, in, we're in this together. We're, we're neither one of us is quitting. So, so it's, it's just having that mindset is important because it's challenging. And then sometimes you're like, oh, well, what about this other business that could be easier that I could get into? But it's like every business is difficult. <laughs> they,
2: they, all Absolutely. have their adolescent phases and their challenges and
0: right. You know. Right. boss, I want to ask a question. We're going to circle kind of way uh-huh. back. Um, you mentioned your first commercial deal. You're building on your relationship with his broker, right. and you're like, I'm going to get it done, and you're like, this is the biggest challenge, the biggest struggle of right. your life. Can we walk mm. through the emotions of that journey? Um, because you said it was the biggest struggle of your life, dude. You're an immigrant yeah. from Iraq. <laughs> I've seen <war>. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Yeah. Tell me about this war zone, bro, mm. because it must have been challenging.
1: Cha- I mean, you know, when I got into... When I got into the sales business, it was challenging because at the time, my my you know my father was like, "Hey, boss, you got one year. If you don't make this work, you know, you got to get back to college." And that was mm-hmm. reasonable, I guess. And then I got my first listing a week prior to that one-year time mark. So that was challenging to me. Um, you know, the war obviously challenging. Poverty was challenging. But this deal was was I would say way more challenging in many different areas because what happened is this your entire credibility and and the multifamily world is very very small like everybody knows each other and so your entire credibility is is based on what you say and, and your performance and so you know the first deal I did was went great the second deal um you know we went and it was me and basically I I got uh three other partners and what happened is we put, we put an offer on this deal. I had this conversation with the broker that I mentioned where he's like, if you screw up on this, we'll never do business again. If you don't, I'll give you as much business as you want. And so, you know, we signed the contract. And, and usually with multifamily, you have what's called hard money. So you basically put up a deposit and that mm-hmm. deposit is not refundable. And so we basically at this point, we had about I think about like $400,000 of hard money uh, on day one that was locked in. And then as we start, one of our partners, um, we were actually just not a good fit. I learned to choose my partners more wisely in the future based on not just whether we want to do a deal together, but do we like each other? So that's important to me now. Um, And one of the partners, I just honestly, I didn't like she didn't like me all that much either, uh, you know, and. uh, Mm basically a week into it, she backs out and she was responsible for a pretty big portion of the deal in terms of, you know, raising the equity and then also managing the asset and all that sort of stuff. And I remember at the time I'm like, okay, if this deal falls apart, not only are we losing 400,000, but we're also going to lose the credibility of the, of the, you know, in front of the broker. And man, at the time I was in a conference for three days and just, you know, sitting down there thinking about this deal falling apart and thinking about being present at the same time at the conference because it was a multi-family conference. But, you know, my my two other partners were like a boss. If this was on a Saturday is when she backed out and uh, my two other partners were like a boss. We've well, got until Monday. If you don't figure this out, we're, we're also backing out because by Monday we would have had to sign another contract that would we would. Where we would put an additional sixty thousand bucks, and they're like, we're not going to put up sixty thousand as a group if we can't get this thing closed. And so it's like just navigating through that, making a bunch of phone calls, and pulling in a bunch of favors from different people, and you know, bringing in the team. So I got a guy in, and and thankfully, you know, we were able to put it together. So I got a guy, and now we're back to four people. Everything is going great. And then a week later, this guy called me. He's like, hey boss, before I sign up with you guys officially. I want to renegotiate my cut. And I'm like, oh my God, this is the worst time. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're about to sign this loan contract. And so it's like, you've got all these different issues. And then when we're raising money, it was a big raise at the time, $8.1 million. I never raised that much. And, uh, you know, we did we did our webinar and we got, we got like two million bucks, and then it's like, and then things slowed down, and it's like, oh my god, I still got six million dollars left. Well, what am I gonna do with that? And so, just mm-hmm. making a bunch of calls every day, like I was, I used, I was, and this was where my phone skills kind of helped out because I was on the road, driving to different mm-hmm. things, and I had my headset on or whatever, and I was just dialing people, trying to raise money, and uh, it, it was, it was very difficult. I remember. At night, I would wake up in the middle of the night shaking, thinking about the deal, because I'm like, oh my God, we have Mm -hmm. three more weeks and I still need to raise $3 million. And and then by the end of it, thankfully, we ended up with eight point seven five, even though we only needed eight, so I had to refund people money, which was cool. <laughs> That's incredible. But it was it was challenging. Man. There was so many challenges. There's so many challenges. I I I aged
0: five years doing that deal. <laughs> mm. Oh man, I have a lot of gray hair. But like that, yeah. <laughs> that the pressure. There's so much pressure. So like, there's certain people that like they respond well to pressure. Like for me. I would prefer to be under pressure because I'm going to do a better job under pressure than I will without right. the pressure. Like if I got too much money in the bank, I'll start to get complacent. Right. But if it starts to disappear, it's like, <laughs> all right, game on <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> <It is. laughs> so like the pressure, I love to feel like I'm being yeah. chased. Because if I feel like I'm being chased, it's I'm gonna figure it out. And oh, you get perform to the end. so much better. Um, but you
1: know, at the same time, yeah. I, I honestly I never want to go through so much pressure again. But if I have to, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> I get it. But it,
0: I, I guarantee you, it was one of the best growth experiences oh, 100%. of my life. Oh, one hundred percent. But but knowing you now, you're you're gonna find more pressure situations. <laughs> I can promise you that. Um, you're, you're gonna get yourself in that scenario again. Um, a boss. Absolute pleasure uh, speaking it, with you. Um, if the audience wants to get a hold of you, what is the best way for them to reach out to you? And you mentioned you had the free VA yeah. course. You might as well drop that for them too so we could put a link so they can Absolutely.
1: Get so the, the course is theabazgroup.com forward slash VA. There's no upsell. There's no downsell, nothing in there. It's just it's just a free course I'm giving away. Um, so theabazgroup.com forward slash VA. And then if they want to reach out to me, the best way is, you know, they go on my website, modelequity.com. They could book a 15-minute call with me. Again, no sales... On these calls or anything like that, you know, people could talk if they have any questions about multifamily or whatever. If they need help with, I guess, real estate, I'll I'll chime in and see what I can do to help. Uh, but yeah, that's the best way.
0: Absolutely fantastic! Awesome, a boss, you are a <laughs> boss. We want to sincerely thank well, you, you. you for coming on our show and giving us a glimpse of your life and business. And to everyone else out there chasing freedom, freedom is acquired one action at a time. If you do nothing else, just write one action down that you got from today. And there's plenty Um, and make sure to implement that in the next seven days and share it with somebody, you know, that can keep you accountable. And before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you again for tuning in.